Uh, so it's, it's a personal blessing. I just can't tell you how much it means to me. Well, uh, have you sat under some good teachers in your life? You know, I mean, I have. I've had some good ones. I've had some not-so-good ones. Right? I had Miss Joyner in the first grade, and back then, teachers can do basically whatever they want to do to you. And I was in the little boys' room where we were instructed to be very, very quiet, and I was in there making jokes. I didn't know Miss Joyner was behind me. It was like a scene from a movie where my friends are all laughing and everything. I mean, she came right into the boys' room. Yeah, you get arrested today. But, um, but she was in there standing right behind me. My friends start going, like, they all stop laughing, and I'm still into my little routine, and they're not laughing. I'm like, what? And there's Miss Joyner right behind me, and she spanked me. Right there. I mean, you know, she had a stick or a wood, you know, I don't, back then it was like a hammer, I think. I don't know. A chainsaw. She was whipping me with a chainsaw. But um, you do whatever you want to do. But I've had some good professors. I've had some awesome ones. My very favorite of all times is Dr. Reginald Barnard. He was born and raised in Australia, um, moved to England, went to Spurgeon's College, um, knew family and relatives of C.S. Lewis. He... I uh, came to the U.S., went to Southwestern Seminary, and then to, came to Mid-America. And I was telling the guys, the tech guys this morning, that even though I took all the required classes I had to take, like in church history and theology under this guy, I took a class of his every semester my entire time in seminary for three years because I realized God had brought me there. It was school and to get the, the big picture, you know, education, to take Greek and all the other things. But in my heart, I felt like, this guy, I felt like you're the reason God brought me here. So I'm going to sit under you, you know, every semester. Because he was so awesome. He was, I mean, and I just, I learned so much from him. We've had good and we've had bad, but how cool it would, could, would it be if you could go to a school where you knew that in every subject uh, you took, that you would have the world's smartest, greatest, most renowned uh, expert, uh, professor in that particular area. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, what if uh, your science teacher was Albert Einstein? You know, just, what if your art professor was Rembrandt? What if, uh, how would you like to study drama under Shakespeare? You know, and you had to talk like that. How would you like to learn political science under Thomas Jefferson? He was your teacher, you know, and you didn't have... What if uh, you studied music under Professor Beethoven? Now, I don't know. That would be, wouldn't it be great to, to have this dream team of teachers into every class you went to, they would be the number one expert in their field? And we can't do that. I mean, you know, these, most of these people are gone. Or, you know, we, it's, it's not possible. Except for this one thing. We have the opportunity to learn how to pray from the greatest prayer that ever lived, the Lord Jesus himself. And then he energizes and gives us the ability from the inside out to be able to pray through the Holy Spirit. It's this amazing, beautiful opportunity that we had. And it was initiated, um, of all things, in this moment when there was a request made of Jesus, and I said last week, they could have said, hey, Jesus, teach me how to turn water into wine. <laughs> how, teach me how to do that. Or teach me how to heal people. Or how do you walk on water? 
If I only knew how to do that, that would be so cool. They didn't ask for any of that. They said, Lord, out of everything we've seen you do, the most profound, the thing that has captured us, that, that has just pulled us in, it's so compelling. Teach us how to pray like you pray. If we knew how to pray. And I don't know of any topic in the Bible uh, that is more relevant to any of us in this room, regardless of where you are spiritually. And I have prayed from every spiritual condition throughout my life. <laughs> I have prayed in crises when I was about a thousand miles away from God and wasn't paying any attention. And then something happened. All of a sudden, I feel like praying, you know, and you, st and you start praying. And then I've prayed in those moments where you just feel like if you open your eyes, you're going to see an angel. You know, those times where you just can just, you feel like oh, I can almost touch you. Lord. So we pray all over the place, and, and every faith and every religion that I can find, even the most remote tribes you've ever heard of, have been found to present offerings and to pray to their gods, often for the same kind of things that we pray for as followers of Jesus. Uh, I remember learning in school how the ancient Incas and Aztecs prayed and even threw in some human sacrifice to try to enhance that just to get God's attention. That gets my attention right off the bat. Uh, Muslims stop whatever they're doing to pray five times a day. Buddhists have their prayer wheels. Millions in AA groups pray to a higher power, begging, you know, for, to, to overcome maybe an addiction. We pray from all kinds of places and, and circumstances. We pray because we just can't help but pray. I think there's something just wired in to, to the human spirit to pray. The human beings pray, and it crosses cultures and times and situations. According to the latest Gallup poll, more Americans will pray this week than will exercise, drive a car, have sex, where do you learn stuff like this except when you come to church, huh? That could be coffee conversation later. Um, more Americans pray than go to work. This says, you know, I don't know if I'm, uh, it says nine out of ten of us pray at least somewhat regularly and that three out of four people say they pray every day. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that, that's, what the poll, that's what the poll says. And according to that, uh, this is a pretty big deal with everybody everywhere. And even as, as, as I'm speaking right now, I, uh, the thought came to me that literally millions and millions of prayers are going up all over the world. All these prayers are going up to the Lord. And the question is, how many people are really praying effectively? Have you ever said this? You know, it's like a cliche among Christians, I guess, you know, I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, and it meant in the wrong way, you know, like they just get up so high, and they're coming back down, and that's it, and it's kind of a way to say, I don't really think I'm praying very, I don't think God's hearing me, I don't think this prayer is getting anywhere, uh, it's not, not happening, nothing's doing anything, so this first lesson that Jesus teaches us is just so beautiful, because it, he's going to show us, here's how you pray, and if you learn, it's, a, it's something you can learn. If you learn how to pray, it's absolutely going to change everything else in your life. And that's why I think, and I know these guys were kind of goofy and kind of quirky sometimes. The disciples, they were all over the place. And you think, why didn't they ask this other question? I think this is one place where they really got it. 
I think they figured out that Jesus, if we can know how to pray like you pray, then all these other things are somehow connected to that. That there's something about this, this power, this, this connection that you have with the Father. And that's why you're able to do all these other things. And they would be right. So the first lesson he, he taught us is where to pray. That that's just as important as how to pray. And it's important for you to have a secret place. A quiet place. It can be your kitchen table. It can be your room. It can be a closet or just somewhere where you can get where you're not on display. You know, it's not, you're not putting on the big show. You're just praying. You're alone with the Lord. And I think that's important. I find it in my personal life. There's, I just need to get away from the noise and the buzz of life so that I think God can hear me and I can hear him. Then Jesus taught us that the real focus of our prayer should actually not be about us at all and what we want which i can't tell you how many times i've prayed when that's where you know we start off with maybe a, you call that a salutation we go hey god dear heavenly father you know there's always we feel like we need to say like hey lord here's what i need and i mean we just jump right into our grocery list our christmas you know and we just kind of start going god i know you're like this big vending machine up there and i'm just i'm here to get what i need and then and then when we're done with that list we go I'm done in Jesus' name, amen, and we just, and then we're out. It's really not the big idea, and we talked about that a lot last week, uh, that it's not figuring out so much and making sure God knows what I want. It's focused on God and for me to understand what he wants. And we learned the primary purpose of prayer is just, actually, it's not just asking for stuff. It's for me to deepen and strengthen my relationship with him and just by focusing on his will. And his, who he is. But then we do have needs, right? We all have needs. And where else do we go? You know, it said, we, we come to you because where else would we go? And that's okay. We all have problems that only God can solve. Questions that only he can answer. And needs that only God can meet. Uh, and that's why we do need to learn how to open up to God in our prayer life and to be able to be transparent and to be able to be vulnerable and to tell him those things. So today with these first two words in Matthew uh, chapter 6, 11, uh, Jesus says, give us. There is this shift in the emphasis of what prayer is. The first part of this prayer has been focused on God and his nature and all about him. And now we're going to focus. He, he takes this turn to talk about us and what our needs are. And we're told specifically what we ought to ask for, and it's three things uh, from God when we pray. This is not complicated. You know, some things you think about Christian life and understanding, you know, some of these deeper truths. Hey, prayer is something you can do this. We can all engage in this. He says just ask for three things. Um, the things we ask for deal with different needs, different areas of our life. The first deals with our physical needs. The second deals with our emotional needs. And the last with our spiritual needs. That covers it. The first thing we ask for deals uh, with, with the present. The second thing deals with our past. And the third thing deals with the future. So when we open up to God and we, we just let him have our hearts... 
Uh, let's see what we need to be asking for. Have you ever thought, you know, have you ever had somebody say, well, do you have any prayer requests? Because I ask people this all the time because I believe, according to the instructions given to what a pastor should be doing, um, it's always in the list. You need to be praying. There needs to be somebody praying, just praying over people. And, and I know some of you are warriors that are uh, so, you know, you have such a strong connection with the Lord. And I feel like, God, I need to be doing that. I need to be, as a pastor and as a friend, I need to be praying over people. So what do I pray? What do I pray? And sometimes people ask me that. And I go, ah, oh, well, you know, just pray that. I, you know, and, and, and you need to kind of know what it is. God, what is it I need to ask you for? Well, ask God, first of all, to provide for your needs. And that's just basic, right? Up to now, this prayer uh, that Jesus is praying teaches us to pray. And in it, nobody's asked God for anything yet. And remember, God, you know, asking God for things is not the primary purpose of prayer. That's why we didn't just, you know, blurt that out in the beginning. But it is appropriate. It's proper. It's okay to ask God for things as long as it's the right thing in the right way with the right motive. There's times I've prayed where I'm like, Lord, I just need you to give me this and give me this. And it's quiet for a minute. I think, you're really not going to do that, are you? And it's almost like the Holy Spirit says, no, no. You got anything else you want to pray about because I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know? And you kind of know from the beginning, wrong motive, selfish thing, you know, something that I just kind of, it's really not what you want, it's more about me. Uh, but what I want to do is to pray and to ask God for things that are always in line with honoring his name and honoring him and doing his will. God, I want to fit in uh, to your plan. I want to be in rhythm with you in my prayer life and in sync with you. And I'd love to pray. And I'd love to spend times in prayer and then walk away going, God, as far as I know, I, everything I ask for today is just right in line with your heart. So I'm just going to ask for those things. I'm going to ask boldly for that. So we get to what is probably all of our all-time favorite part of the prayer. It's where we get to say, give us. <laughs> here's, now, <clears throat> here's what we want. So whenever you pray those two words to God, you've already admitted several things. I want you to think about this. When you ask someone to give you something, you're acknowledging they've got it. You know, they own it. You need it. They don't owe it to you. They don't have to give it to you. And you probably don't just deserve it. You know, there, there's, you have no leverage. And I like the fact that this verse doesn't say pay us. <laughs> it says give us. Those two words immediately remind us of what our relationship with God's really all about. On one hand, we are completely dependent on him. On the other hand, he is completely independent from us. I have a little grandson, and I, we love getting to feed him. His parents are starving him to death. So when he comes to our house, grandparents, can I get a witness? You know, we, and we're, we're good about it. I'm just kidding, but sort of. But, um, so we feed him. And when you give him something that he really likes, he's so funny, he... And, and if you hold back, like you turn and talk to somebody for a minute and his tray's empty, he looks at you and goes, ooh, ooh. It's like watching the little planet of the apes, you know, ooh, ooh, and he does that until you give him some more. And it's just so hilarious, you know. And his parents are trying to break him of it. We think it's so cute. We're going to keep doing it. But no, I'm just kidding. But sort of. And, you know, but he, he has 
thing, and you can tell he's sincere. <laughs> and what he's doing in baby talk is he's saying, I need more of that. I need more of that food, more of that sustenance. Ooh. And there's times I get before the Lord, and I think, God, I don't even know how to ask you for this, but I'm just so desperate. I just need it so much. Ooh. <laughs> Not really, but Lord, you know our hearts. Some of you have been to that place where you're just passionate about that. Because I know I need it from Him. And everything I need and everything I think I own and everything I have, it's His. He's the resource. He's, control, he's got it. So what do we ask for? Jesus said this in, in 6.11. He said, give us this day our daily bread. I think there's a reason why Jesus specifically used the word bread. I mean, He could have said... Give us our pomegranate. Give us a Pop-Tart. Give us this day our daily cheeseburger. I mean, it could have been, I don't know if they had those, but it could have been any other thing. But to the Hebrew mind, bread was significant. It was the principal food of life. Bread has what kept the world alive. And today, I think bread, rice, maybe potatoes, these are the things, whatever you think about those, that's what has kept the world alive throughout all the things that have happened through generations. So Jesus specifically uses this because it was considered this one thing that was indispensable to sustain life itself. In fact, bread was so valued in the Middle East that it was never cut. It was always broken. And to this day, you know, you've, you've heard the expression breaking bread. Let us break bread together. Well, that was meant something in that time. Bread represents, you know, our physical needs and all that we need to get those needs met. So God's promised, I'm going to meet your needs. He's not always promised to meet our greeds. Uh, you know, okay, I thought it was clever, but God has promised to give us Give us what we need, not always just what we want him. And tr trust me in this, because I've, I've been praying that way for like 35 years. And uh, this is what I've proven, you know, and seen in my life. He's going to meet my needs. There have been times when I thought, there's no way, there's no way. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm done for. I'm at the end of the rope. I'm, you know, I mean, it's over and I'm doomed. And, and God comes through, sometimes in amazing, sometimes in miraculous ways. If I had time, I could tell you stories that just to this day bring tears to my eyes to see how God has surprised me over and over again. But I can't think of any time when I've been greedy and have said, God, just this one time, you know, I need basic transportation. Lord, I'd love for that to be a Lamborghini. <laughs> you know, Lord, why not? Why not, Lord? I mean, I would use that as a tool. I would witness for you. Uh, I would somehow, I, I would write Jesus' name. I'd put one of those little fish on the back of, of it. You know, I would do, and God's like, Hey, Dan, no, that's not going to happen. Let's move to the next thing. You know, and, and that is true because I want you to listen to this verse again. Give us this day our daily bread. And by the way, if you drive a Lamborghini or some other cool car, God bless you. You're free in Christ. Don't feel a false sense of guilt just because I don't have one and you do. One of the things that prayer teaches us just live one day at a time. You know, my mama told me that from the time I was a little kid, and 
kind of never got it because everything I would go through seemed like the end of the world. Do you remember that? You know, when you're, you're just like, this is a crisis, and she knew in her wisdom and experience, you'll get past this. This won't last forever. God doesn't seem to want to provide for today's needs tomorrow. Uh, he's never late, and he doesn't provide for tomorrow's needs today. He's never early. He's always right there. On the other hand, these, these few words teach us that whether you have a little bit of bread or you've got a whole loaf of bread, be thankful for what you do have. And remember where it came from. We have some friends who came to, to visit from another country where things are not very nice and the, the land is just barren and broken and, and rubble and they haven't taken care of it and it's just really, it's just a hard situation. And they just constantly walk around and just look at East Tennessee. And I forget about that. I forget about that. We had some friends to come and in the days where you could, you know, you could walk people right up to the gate and, you know, and get on the plane, and then you could walk right up and walk them right off the plane. Um, they came from, from out west, and they live out in the desert, and, and all they could do, we got out of the plane, and they just looked out the window at the airport and said, oh, look at all these trees. And all the way, driving from Alcoa, you know, and then Pellissippi back, you know, all they could, t all they could talk about was, it's so green, it's so green. They were just amazed. And I forget sometimes to look at that. You know, we're driving this morning, and Kathy and I just noticed, you know, this color is starting to change. And I think, wow, just take for granted what you have given me. And not just in the scenery or where we live, but in a hundred ways. I do that over and over and over. We just be thankful for what we have and remember where it came from. The Apostle Paul was talking to a pagan crowd, people not anywhere near a relationship with Jesus in Athens one time, and he said this in Acts 17, 25. He said, God himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Everything else. He's just, he's given that to us. So it's okay. We ask God to meet our needs. Then I ask God to pardon my sins. Matthew six twelve says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven debtors. Obviously, if prayer is going to be effective, you've got to be on speaking terms with the one, you know, that you're wanting to get an answer to your prayer. So if you're going to be on speaking terms with God and you want to see your prayer be effective, there's a couple of things that have to be true. First of all, you've got to be forgiven. You've got to receive and accept the forgiveness that God has offered you through Jesus. He's paid the penalty. You don't have to walk around in your guilt and your sin anymore. You can be forgiven. I love those baptisms. I love the testimonies of people who know what it's like. And then secondly, you've got to be forgiving. If your relationship with God is wrong, then you know internally you're going to have guilt. You, you, you are. And if your relationship with others is wrong, then eternally you're going to have bitterness towards them. So if you think about it, there are only two things that can come between you and, and God and, and in your prayer. And one is unforgiven sin. Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I regard wickedness in my heart, 
the Lord will not hear. I didn't, I didn't write that. He said that. I think that's why a lot of my life, God didn't answer prayers because I wasn't forgiven. I wasn't clean. I wasn't ready to approach him in a relationship like that. So he says, we're to pr pray, forgive us our debts. And it was interesting to me when I looked at this that he used the word debt because the word I would expect and that we always use is forgive me for my sins. So I looked into that a little more. And this is, you know, we need somebody to pay a debt because this word uh, sin in this circumstance it, it, and forgive literally means to cancel a debt. So when God forgives a sin, you know what he's really doing? He's canceling a debt. Sin is a debt that we owe. And it just reminds us that without him, I'm, I'm spiritually bankrupt. And I need to let somebody pay that debt for me. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, he gave us the ability and the right and the boldness to go to God and say, forgive us our debts. And God said, it's done. It's done. The debt was paid. I was in line once at seminary, and I was going up to pay the registrar for this semester, and we had saved, and we were so broke, you know, and I'm looking at my money, and I had like $200 bills, and I had some other bills, because it was going to be like 320 something like that for that particular bill that I owed. And I got up there, and... Um, and the lady said, you know, name. I gave her my name, and I had my money ready. And she goes, oh, that's been paid. And I said, no, it hadn't been paid because I just got here, and I know I owe this. She goes, no, it's paid. And I said, I don't think so. Can you kind of look at it again? Because there's one place you don't want to cheat financially is seminary, right? Yeah, okay, great, you know, and go away. I thought, no, that's probably God's going to say, whoa, we're not, I'm not going to bless this semester. But So I just kept insisting, and she says, no. She goes, I just need to tell you. Somebody has paid your debt for you, and they, they don't want you to know who it is. I said, what? She goes, yeah, that money in your hand, you can keep that. Never told Kathy about that, uh, just until now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we were just so excited and so happy. I then thought, wow, somebody paid. Listen, somebody's paid your sin debt, but they do want you to know who it is. It's Jesus. He paid your debt. And that's what forgiveness of sin, really, at its core, that's what it is. God himself has taken care of that. And that's the only remedy for it. And that, that's why these two requests, I think, are linked together. We go from give us to forgive us. Prayer comes out of a clean heart. Besides unforgiven sin, the other thing that can damage your prayer life is an unforgiving spirit. Once you've been forgiven, then we forgive people around us. So we continue to pray. And he says in, in verse 12, as we have also forgiven our debtors. You know, do you see something here? Do you, do you see exactly what you're saying when you pray like this? You're not only asking God to forgive you when you've messed up against him, you're asking God to forgive you in the same way you forgive others when they mess up against you. God, you know how I've forgiven the people in my life? Yeah. That's how I want you to forgive me. Are you sure? Yep. Okay. That's what God's saying. 
That changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Because we all want God to forgive us, but you know it's kind of possible then when you think about it like that to ask God not to forgive you. If you pray, forgive us our debts, but you're not willing to forgive the debts of others, you're actually asking God not to forgive you. I don't think that's a prayer you want to pray. So when you pray this part of the prayer, you take care of two of the most, I think, devastating emotional problems that any human being can ever experience, and that is guilt and bitterness. And I have preached the funerals of people who've taken their own lives because they were so filled with one of these. When we ask God to forgive us, we are set free from the prison of guilt. And when we forgive others, we are healed, we're cured of the poison of bitterness. And your prayer life explodes. And I think the last thing he kind of asks in this context is we ask God to protect our purity. In verse 13, he says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Every day, we ought to go to God realizing there are plenty of temptations out there for us to fall into and say to him, Don't lead me into any temptations today. And at first, that sounds like a little strange. It sounds like a little weird. Like, if I don't pray that, he will <laughs> lead me into temptation. Uh, because a holy God would obviously never lead his people into a situation that's going to be unholy or damaging, you know, and destructive. James 1.13 says this, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So, all right, how do I understand this verse then? God does not ever tempt us to do anything that's wrong, but he will allow us to be led into temptation if we want to be. That's the whole thing about free will. Most of us want it both ways. God, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to I decide those things. But if I decide something bad, I want you to miraculously come in after me and fix it. And you know, I think, God, and that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. We need to surrender up front to God. That's how I understand this verse, that he can protect me from it if I'm willing to let him do that. There's been times in my life, there's been times in your life when you ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? And he's speaking to you, don't go there, don't do that, back off. And, and you think, I'm going to, don't, don't, shut up, I don't want to hear you right now, I want to do what I want to do. That's what he's talking about. You could paraphrase this verse kind of like this. Lord, don't allow me to walk into a situation that would overwhelm me and then cause me to sin. Deliver me from temptation and from the devil and every other trap that he would set for me. Jesus was brilliant in telling us exactly what to pray, what to say when we're in conversation with God. The key to overcoming temptation in your life, it's just surrender. One of two things will be true every time you're faced with a temptation. You will either surrender to the temptation and sin, or 
you are surrendered to the Lord and you will overcome the temptation. And you'll not sin. That's 101 Christianity, right? One of the greatest steps you can take towards overcoming temptation is simply by not allowing yourself to get into a tempting situation as much as possible to begin with. That's where prayer comes in. Because moment by moment, God can be this alarm, this notification in your heart that something's going wrong. Whenever you're about to do that very thing, he can pull back and say, don't say that. Don't go in there. No, don't hit send. <laughs> you know, and all these moments, and the Holy Spirit pulls us back. And here's, here's what I'm finding true in my life, and here's what I believe for you. If we spent more time asking God to deliver us from the temptation... I would not have to spend so much time asking God to forgive me for the sin. Right? So your greatest weapon against temptation and then against guilt and bitterness and shame and against the devil himself, it's prayer. It's prayer. I minored in counseling at the master's level, and I did that because I felt like I didn't have a lot to give people when we would sit down to talk. And I remember a professor standing in front of me once and saying, some of you folks, all you've got to give people is tell them to read their Bibles and to pray about it. And that sounds like such a cliche. But I want to tell you, after walking a lot of ground and trying out a lot of theories and practices and all these kind of different counseling mechanisms, some with you. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of back where I started. Because what works for me and what will work for you is read your Bible and pray about it. <laughs> this makes a tremendous difference in my life when I'm praying, when I'm praying. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Did, did you realize it would be something as simple as what you were taught to do before you probably even knew what you were doing when someone maybe told you to put your hands together or, or you recited a bedtime prayer or a mealtime prayer? You were beginning to tap into something that was potentially the most powerful ability to connect with God and to resist temptation that we ever have. That's why we got to open up. That's why we got to go to God and admit our needs, acknowledge what it is I need, ask God to meet those, and then when I pray, I can let God do the fighting. Because prayer is not just for defense, it's for offense. And all of us in Tennessee know how important both defense and offense is. Amen. So as we close this particular part of this study on the Lord's Prayer, I want you to notice just this one little thing. All these petitions are in the plural. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever seen that? We're not just to pray my Father, but I pray our Father. And I don't just pray, God, forgive my sins and, and don't lead me into temptation. He says, forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. 
Once again, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. The need to pray in such a way that not only I know, but we know that he can hear us. He can hear me when I pray for you. He can hear you when you pray for me. He can hear us when we pray for others. And we become this unstoppable force simply through this one activity, prayer. When we pray together with one heart, things happen in communities and in churches and in people's lives. When I was 19, I was in a place really trying to get a band booked into a club <laughs> and stayed at this guy's house with his grandmother. And we left her house, and she said, before you guys leave, can I pray for you? And we just thought it was cute. I mean, we thought it was so sweet. It was just like, oh, my goodness, she wants to pray for us. So we stood there beside her. We, we, were also, we were so awkward. We were freaks, okay? We were like really, really hippies and, and had no idea what to do next. And um, she takes our hands, and it was just precious. I and mean, we just, even our hard old hearts thought this little old lady, she begins to pray for us to have a safe trip home, you know, and we just thought, oh. But then she stops, and something happened to this supposedly innocent, sweet little old lady. She begins to pray the Holy Ghost. I mean, oh my goodness. She goes, and dear God, convict these boys of sin and of righteousness. And, and she just starts praying on that. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's like God came into the room with mighty angels all around and we're helpless. And she's just this little old lady. And I think, oh my goodness, we had no idea you knew jujitsu, you know. And she's just like a warrior when it came to prayer. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on my life. And that was on a Friday. And it stayed there Saturday. The big street fight in my neighborhood. Guys got hurt. Guys went to the emergency room. We took somebody to... This girl's house to, to get her to her to sew him up without having to go to the emergency room and explain what happened. And she says, You boys need Jesus. And I remember saying, I remember saying, Has the whole world become Christian? And walking out on the front porch. Because I didn't want to be in the kitchen with them anymore. I'm just like long story, went to church. For some reason I went back to church that night in this little Baptist Church in North Memphis and I stood in the back with the youth the youth I just love you guys sitting up front and I love it because to get to everybody else I got to speak past you first so you're always in my heart and in my eye you know so God bless you 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 bless me and encourage me sitting here uh, as well all of you guys you guys in the back you discourage me no, I'm just kidding I'm just kidding I'm just kidding not, Scooter's mad at me now. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. When I stood there, um, I didn't know what was going on, but my heart, I mean, the Holy, just God was just all over me, and I'm so far away, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen next. And I, and I had my hands like this, and this girl next to me grabs my hand. I look over at her, I'm like, hey. <laughs> 
kind of like prayer flirting or something. I don't know. You know. But then this guy next to me grabs my hand. I'm like, whoa. You know, and I'm looking at him. And their lips are moving. And I look around, and all these young people around me, their lips are moving. I wouldn't know until later that they were all praying for one thing, for one person, for me. And they were praying with passion, with conviction. And you may think this is just so far out, but I can tell you, I felt it. I felt something, and I didn't know at that time it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just knew I didn't want my old life anymore. That I wanted Jesus. I didn't know what that would mean. I didn't know how this, I didn't, I didn't know. I just thought I have no idea what's going to happen or how, if I'm going to have to change or stay the same. None of that just seems to matter in this moment. But it was because they prayed together. Folks, I think our church is overlooking something powerful that we have, this ministry that we could do together. And you don't have to really go that much out of your way. I believe if we started praying together specifically about specific things, we would see a difference in our town, in our church, in our families, and in our homes that we could have never imagined with all the best programs and methods and all of that. Just pray. Let's just pray together. Here's how we're going to start. Last week I gave you homework, uh, and it was this. I want you to give the first five minutes of the next 30 days to the Lord in worship. You wake up, just give him those first, first five minutes. and Say, God, right now I've got some stuff I need, but you know what? I'm not even going to ask you about that right now. Right now I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to tell you how great you are, how beautiful you are, and I'll just tell you how much I love you, and that's all. And just next five minutes, next 30 days. If that sounds hard, you'd have to get up five minutes earlier. I know, that's hard. Go to bed five minutes earlier. You can do this. But today, here's what I want you to do. As we begin to engage in prayer, uh, and here's a good place to start. If you're on the city, this little app that we're using to communicate with one another in our church, there's a tab that says prayer. I want you to click on that, and then you can add a prayer request. Let's begin. Let it begin tonight in your community group or this week. Let's begin to pray for one another. I mean, really, begin to pray. And let's watch what happens. Now, as God answers your prayer, let's post the prayers on there. Let's begin to post the answers and give God praise for it. I'm so excited. I want to see what God does. Let's pray and sing right now. Father, I want to thank you that you are a heavenly father who answers prayer and that you listen to us. And you're so beautiful and I just love you so much. And I, I just never forget that night when people were praying together over me, not speaking to me about you as much as they were speaking to you about me. 
and then you spoke to me about me. Change us from the inside out. Change our prayer life one by one as individuals, as couples, as families, as friends. Now, Father, change our prayer life as a church. Change us, Father. Teach us how to pray, Jesus.